Everything you ever wanted to know about iconic Glacier Bay National Park, we're going to talk about it today. Welcome to the Alaska Uncovered podcast with me, your host, Jenny Twing Flaming. My occasional co-host and full-time husband, Jay and I, bring you accurate, helpful, and entertaining information about Alaska travel and life in Alaska. Our guest today is Ranger Matt Enderly, well-traveled in his career with the National Park Service. Matt has served four seasons as an interpretive park ranger in Glacier Bay National Park. He recently accepted a permanent position in Point Reyes National Seashore. Matt has a deep love of the National Park Service in general and Glacier Bay in particular. Matt, welcome to Alaska Uncovered. Thank you for being here. Thanks a lot for having me, Jenny, and thanks for having me too, Jay. We're delighted to get a chance to talk to you. Yeah. So to start off, Matt, tell us how you got to Alaska. Oh, well, my story to getting to Alaska actually deals in a bit of personal drama. Um, back in 2018, I had been accepted into grad school and over the course of that year found that it was a very poor fit for me. And shortly before the end of my first semester in grad school, I dropped out. And um, of course, prior to that, I had been working for the National Park Service. So when I came home, my parents were like, well, what are you going to do now? And I told them, I'm going to go to Alaska. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I told them that I had just applied to all the national parks in Alaska. And I'd go to whichever one would take me first. And fortunately for me, and for the last five years of my life, that first park to answer my call was Glacier Bay National Park. And I'd been returning up there ever since for um, three summers and one winter since 2019. That's how I got to Alaska. Sweet. Love it. So I know that today we're talking about Glacier Bay, uh, but before we get into Glacier Bay, I feel like we just need to briefly talk about our little shared adventure in Katmai. Oh, yes. <laughs> so two weeks ago, um, so that would be episode four, um, for those of you listening, was about Katmai. And um, I was talking with Kara during that episode, who was a ranger in Katmai last summer. And um, even though I first met Ma Matt in Glacier Bay, then randomly we saw each other last summer when we were both in Katmai, which was so yeah. bizarre. And I had just, um, just to set the stage slightly, I was camping in the campground, the very intense bear campground by myself, which I knew I was going to be doing and I was cool with it. I thought I was cool with it. And then I landed. <laughs> That's so hard to talk about this without cracking up. <laughs> so as I'm like landing in this float plane, I, I like just see bears everywhere. They're like in the lake and the river. And I like walked into the ranger station and I was like, oh man, this is so intense. And I walked in there and then I saw you, Matt, and you were just standing in there because you were also visiting because yes. you were working in Glacier Bay then. That's right. And I was immediately like, I'm going to be okay because Ranger Matt is here <laughs> and he's in a bear park that's going to be 
fine. I had the same reaction when I saw you, Jenny. <laughs> it was just so funny that you were like, yeah, this is really intense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, we could probably go on and on about, about that. But instead, we are talking about, about Glacier Bay today. So we're going to go ahead and jump into that. Um, so to get us started, Matt, um, Glacier Bay is the homeland of the Huna Clinket people. And learning about Huna Clinket culture was for me a highlight when I visited Glacier Bay. And I thought it was such a unique place in the way that the park has a special relationship with the Huna Clinket. And so I'm wondering if you could just share a little bit about how that contributed to your experience as a ranger in the park. Gladly. Um, and thanks for, for acknowledging the Huna Clinket right off, Jenny. Um, to put so many words into so few words, my experience in Glacier Bay would have not nearly been to the level of uh, reward that it was had it not been for being introduced to Tlingit culture and being invited to partake in Tlingit culture with the Tlingit uh, people we worked and lived alongside. And that took a form in many different ways. Um, but of course, they that is their homeland. They have been there since time immemorial. And the National Park Service has been there for less than 100 years. And so in many ways, we are uh, the very newcomers to that land. But we, in just the last few decades, have taken an honest shot at uh, co-managing and stewarding the amazing natural resources found in Tlingit homeland, known to most of us as Glacier Bay. National Park. And so, Jenny, you may remember while you were there, did you go to the tribal house in Bartlett Cove? Yeah, I did. They, it was a little bit too early. It was like the first weekend of the season and they weren't doing the interpretive programs. Um, but I did get to meet one of the rangers there and I got I got to see it. So I got a little bit of the experience. Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Uh, for those of you who have been there, um, you know that this is a, a fairly newly built tribal house built in a traditional style, uh, but also built in collaboration with the tribe in 2016 to tell the stories of the four clans of the Hunafinget who call Glacier Bay homeland, and also to give them a permanent anchor in their homeland uh, after being initially removed from their homeland by the National Park Service shortly after Glacier Bay became a national monument in 1925. So there's a, a very complicated history behind the government coming in to Southeast Alaska, acting like we own the place, and now coming to a place with the tribes to find a middle ground there, saying that there are things that we believe we can do to help protect this place, but also acknowledging uh, their and your, as Hunafinget, traditional parts in protecting it too, um, and in being co-stewards. And so that house plays a major role in that. And over the course of my several seasons in Glacier Bay, many, many of the best experiences and memories I have of that place in some ways tied back to the Huna Tribal House or certainly Huna Tlingit culture in its own right. I feel like well, you and I both have had a, a funny opposites of uh, i know that you have worked in yosemite and i i was uh, raised in yellowstone and then i got the chance to go work up in gates of the arctic which is a completely opposite 
type of park from from you know Yellowstone, and you went from Yosemite to Glacier Bay, which is a pretty different kind of park. I mean, not very many people get an opportunity to be like, especially on the ground in Glacier Bay. They get quite a few people come through on cruise ships, but not very many people are ever there on the ground. Like, what was? I mean, what was? What did you think was the best part about living there? About getting to spend a whole season. Well, the best part about living in Glacier Bay for me actually had a good amount to do with work. So, of course, going from anywhere in California, even if it's remote like Yosemite is, is starkly different from the the flavor of remote that is found in Southeast Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, You know, and as much as I loved... uh, living in Gustavus, which is the gateway community to Glacier Bay, that was counterbalanced with my experiences at work as a interpretive park ranger. And we'll get a little bit more into that later. Um, But on board the ships where we often worked, it was very loud and bustling and lots of noise and lots of people. And then after work in the evenings, when you went home, I would just find myself surrounded and shrouded in the rainforest of Southeast Alaska and hearing the Swainson's thrush call through the trees outside of my window and watching the sunset at 8.30 p.m. and just be enveloped in the remote beauty of true undeveloped wilderness. Um, That, to me, is is what called to me the most about living in Glacier Bay specifically. And I think a lot of Alaskans or even people who have been to Alaska can relate to that in some way or another. It's the stillness of the place that simply can't be found anywhere else. As some of our listeners may know, it's not easy to get there. And so you right. know, it's, it's not surprising. Even if you have the intention, it's, it's hard to get it done, but so worth the effort. Yeah. So what was the hardest part about living in Gustavus or in, in Glacier Bay? You know, ironically, it's actually the same answer. Um, I'm not all. <laughs> yeah, some folks, and and Jay, you may be able to relate to that too. Um, the stillness is lovely, and there's an amazing sense of community in these bush communities like Gustavus, where there's only a few hundred people, and they know each other really well, and they have each other's backs. It's wonderful. But when you call it home for just part of the year, it's hard to feel like you're um, a permanent part of that community. And soon, if you're somebody like me, you miss having more diverse experiences, uh, going out and being or living in a place where you can go downtown and, and have a, a whole bunch of different restaurants and art venues at your fingertips. You can go into and explore and meet new people and see different things. And that uh, is something about traveling that I particularly love. So while I, I do enjoy the sense of stillness that wilderness brings. I find that my enjoyment for it mostly comes from living in a more active setting. And so um, I I think to put it into perspective, I think what I found for myself is is too much of a good thing isn't good. (laughs) Um, And as much as I did love living for so long in Glacier Bay, after four seasons, I found that it was time to leave. And I found, and I left Glacier Bay with a great taste still in my mouth, but um, 
it, it was my time to go. And now California has kind of scratched that itch of getting back to a little more active lifestyle. Right. And I love my well, home here. <laughs> Ray's has a funny, you know, you're, you're really close to the, to, to the big city there, but also it's, it's more, you know, the first time I visited there, uh, when I was working for the region, I was surprised by how far away it felt from the city in its own, you know, Yes, it's the perfect for somebody like me. It's the perfect balance. Like I live in a town. Point Reyes Station is like just under 400 people. It's the same size as Gustavus, but right. I also live an hour away from San Francisco. <laughs> and so, it's not the same as Gustavus. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. It's not the same as Gustavus by a long shot, but by the numbers. <laughs> um, you know, but even the opportunity to drive an hour away is something I missed up there too. How long um, was your how long was your season in up there in, in Glacier Bay? Most of them were five months. So they ran from mid-April through October mm-hmm. uh, or, or right into October. But I did spend one 11-month stint up there from uh, the first week of December 2020 through uh, the first week of November 2021. And so that was – and in that whole time, I only left Glacier Bay National Park for one day. And it was go. It was to go to an even more remote place called Pelican, Alaska. <laughs> so oh, wow. I didn't. Yes, it was. Um, that that was really what told me that you know I love this place, but may, it's not maybe meant for me full time. But it gave me a solid appreciation of of a sourdough's life. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know it's the funny. I, I got to spend um, most of a winter in Skagway, which again, not very many people do. It's a and it was weird <laughs> it was a very you know especially when the weather turned in fall there was a definite door slamming feeling i felt with the in skyway the wind comes up and you know all of a sudden you really can't fly out anymore and the ferry it gets to be like once a week and yeah yeah it just started to feel kind of pretty isolated and what was it like to spend a a, a winter you know, there was it, were you one of the, how many, there can't be very many NPS employees who, who wintered. No, uh, you know, the permanent staff of course do. And, and most of Glacier Bay staff are permanent. Um, many of them work oh, really? in maintenance. Yes. Yes. It's, oh, I didn't know that. I'm and that's by nature of now, um, these stats probably aren't exactly right. So, <laughs> uh, but, but the majority of Glacier Bay's staff, at least by division, are maintenance folks. And that's because of so many vehicles the park has, like boats and, oh, right. and big right. cars and things. Like that. a ton of upkeep there. Um, and so a lot of them, in fact, all of them, most of them live in Gustavus. Uh, so that being said, there were people around in the winter. However, I was one of two seasonal employees living there in the winter time and it was the middle of covid before the vaccines came out so we never saw each other um and so i was in my my house in the rain for uh, a few months at a time it was very difficult talk about taking the isolation up to 11 oh yeah it was hard <laughs> you know it's funny when you mentioned the years i didn't i didn't make that connection yeah wow. yeah well you know and that's kind of the thing like when I was up there for the winter, but to go a little bit more in the backstory, if you're interested, of course, um, in my 2020, 2019 was my first summer in Glacier Bay. And then I was biding my time volunteering in Yosemite that winter, as I often did. 
waiting to go back to Glacier Bay in 2020. Well, of course, March came around and they were like, we can't take anybody. And so um, I went to Redwood that summer instead, had a great time. But at the end of my season in Redwood, I was like, I need to go back to Glacier Bay as soon as possible. That way I'm there for next summer and they can't tell me no. <laughs> and that's why I went you out. Yeah, exactly. It's a little harder to say to reject me at that point. Um, so I got up there and in December, and of course, everybody's like, "Man, you're you're doing this in the winter time alone during a pandemic." And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess I am." <laughs> but you know, I think in talking to my parents, I think we all agree that uh, for better or worse, that was kind of my experience in Glacier Bay. It said, "Maybe this lifestyle isn't quite for me." But I'm really glad to have that experience because that's truly an experience of a lifetime. And for better or worse, I'm so lucky to have had it. <laughs> so, yeah, there was a period where it it rained day and night nonstop for two months. And after and of course, that's during the winter when the sun is mostly down. Um, for the first time I got there first week of December and then I saw the sun for the first time on January 20th. And I went outside and just stared at it <laughs> and like seared holes in my retinas. But it was just, I was taking in all the vitamin D I could. And then it disappeared again for a few weeks. <laughs> so <laughs> That's was, pretty wild. That, pretty is, wild. <laughs> that is a lot of rain. And, and you know, we've oh. also lived in Southeast Alaska and we now live in Seattle. So that, oh, well, but that is still, <laughs> yeah, but we even in Seattle, we do get, we do usually see the sun in a two month period, even in the yeah. winter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd say it's probably the case in around Glacier Bay as well. But for whatever reason, that particular winter was <laughs> especially dreary. Um, but again, it was looking back on it now, more than two years later, it was uh, a, a good experience for me to have. And I'm really glad I did. Super yeah. unique and yes. adventurous. That's for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> and it that. sounds like you learned that that wasn't something you wanted to do forever. So that was probably helpful. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of why I, I count it as a you know it was a, a good experience. <laughs> no, I, um, we're getting we're getting off script here, but I think cool. that's great. I'm I just wanted I I think you know it's an interesting as an anthropologist I think it's an interesting insight into the human condition that. Not many people get to have, and park rangers are some of the few people who have, and you have this funny combo of seeing lots of people and being very social in the height of the season, and then potentially being extremely isolated during off-season time. That one of my one of my park service heroes, uh, uh, a ranger who was in Yellowstone at the east entrance. Um, his name is Bob Mon. He was killed in the line of duty in 94 on uh, Avalanche Rescue. But he was, uh, he spent nine, seven, eight, nine months a year essentially snowed in uh, at the East Entrance. And after he died, uh, when they were cleaning out his park housing, he, his entire inside of his park housing had been gutted. He didn't really have any furniture anymore. And he had been rebuilding a Jeep inside his park, inside his, his, uh, his park housing. And it was just one of those like 
what do you do all winter? Well, there Build you go. Car. <laughs> Build a car. Everyone was totally shocked when they like went in there and they're like, oh my God, there's an entire like <laughs> army Jeep from the World War II era. So um, cool. <laughs> yeah, you would understand. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. Yes. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> so going back to the summer. <laughs> from from the winter tell us a little bit about what a typical day looks like for a ranger in glacier bay during the summer season now that maybe maybe also during the winter season i feel like we should talk about that too (laughs) other than looking outside at the rain sure well i think um yeah we'll we'll wrap up the winter story by the winter perspective and and so what a park ranger does in the wintertime in Glacier Bay uh, is a lot of office work. <laughs> um, the, the summertime is so busy, which we'll see in a moment, that it takes months and months of preparation work on, the, um, on behalf of the permanent rangers who are there year-round that they spend a lot of their time indoors getting all of that ready. But because... Sunshine is at such a premium in Alaska in the wintertime. Everybody goes on like an hour-long walk during their uh, shift at some point. And the superintendent is really good about making sure that happens. So taking time, even if it stops raining, like for any reason, people just leave the office to go exercise and to get out there and talk to people, you know, get to know the the folks who are working upstairs from you. Uh, get out there, get a little bit of sunshine, then come back to the office. And that keeps things fresh and people motivated and inspired. And, uh, you know, interpreters, of course, we we need to have, <laughs> we need to go touch grass. We've got to have that inspiration from the scenery. We can't do what we do. And so that was my experience during the winter. Um, it definitely, there's a very strong sense of camaraderie that comes with but spending a winter in Glacier Bay and not just, you know, getting out there with people that you work with and your neighbors. Um, so the summertime, by contrast, is quite different. Rather than make time to be outside every day, most of our days are spent outside or at least away from the office. Um, but even while we're away from the office, we're kind of indoors a lot. So I'm going to answer your question, Jenny, from the perspective of an interpretive park ranger. Yeah. Which is what I do. Yeah. And most people hear that answer or that word interpretation and immediately attribute it with interpreting different languages. Um, and the truth is that I only speak one language and that's English. And I don't even do that very well. <laughs> but um, <laughs> as an interpreter, we interpret the language of the resource, that being the nature that surrounds us in these national parks or the cultures that do the history that wraps it all together. We take things that are cold, hard facts and weave them into tapestries that people can wrap around them like a blanket and carry with them wherever they go around the park. Um, And that's a really poetic way of saying we're teachers. (laughs) So we, uh, we spend much of our days in any shift with the public visiting Glacier Bay. And probably our most famous duty is the one I'll get into in detail the most here. And that would be boarding cruise ships. So Glacier Bay National Park gets about a million visitors per year. Although if you visit on land, you would never guess that. (laughs) Because most of them, literally 95% of those visitors, come via cruise ship. 
the big ones that carry like three or 4,000 passengers. And we get up to two of those per day, every day from April or May through October. So per their contracts to operate within Glacier Bay National Park, these cruise ship companies have to have interpretive park rangers on board to interact with their cruising public and teach them about the park they're cruising through. And this is beneficial for them because they, these Alaska crew lines, cruise lines, they advertise Glacier Bay as a big selling point on their cruising packages. And so um, having people on board who know the resource well, like park rangers, is uh, very beneficial and keeps people coming back every year. So these cruise ships are so big, they can't pull into Bartlett Cove where the rangers live. Bartlett Cove is a very small and narrow little offshoot of the big blue Glacier Bay on the eastern shoreline. And our dock in Bartlett Cove is way too small to host a big cruise ship like that. So rather than have them come to us, we go to them. And our days will start at 5 a.m., bright and early in the morning, where we report to the office, get things for the day, which include our backpacks, any materials we need, like furs and pictures to bring on board. We get our helmets and our float coats, our big orange coats, and then leave for the dock. And at the dock, we find the Ciroc, which is a little park service vessel that can hold about 15 passengers. And Captain Cheryl, who as of just this past summer was captain of the Ciroc, and she will take those rangers who arrive for duty out to the waters of Glacier Bay, where we meet the cruise ships for the day. And two or three of us will line up on the deck of the Ciroc as we approach the cruise ship from the port side. And during the approach, a door opens near the waterline on the cruise ship. The crew on board the ship drops a rope ladder down to the waterline. And while both vessels are underway, moving at about seven or eight miles per hour, the Ciroc pulls up alongside the ship, pins that rope ladder to the hull of the ship, and the park rangers, like me, climb on board, meet the captain, spend the day with the folks on board, and then at the end of our eight-hour shift, do that whole process in reverse and go home. <laughs> um, and that, in essence, is, is the day or how it physically looks. But while we're on board, we're doing all so sorts wait, of So wait, hold on well. a second, yes. Matt. So that's while lot, you're sorry. before, no, no, that's good. I love it. So I just wanted to clarify that you're you're climbing the rope ladder in yes. your uniform. Yes. Right. Yes. In a tie and all. That's right. Class A. Yeah. Oh, do you have to wear class A? Oh, of course you do on the show. Oh yes, we do. Oh yes. Yeah. Right. No. No cargo so, pockets in our pants. No. Sir. I feel like we need it. We need a. I, I need to put a glossary up. Park Service jargon. There's the uh, class A's, which are the like uniform you think about when you think about a park ranger. The flat hat, the like kind of formal looking uniform. Class B's, which you don't see as often anymore, but it used to be that everyone park maintenance, everybody wore like a baseball cap, more casual, like working uh, thing. And that's why I was talking about as class A's. <laughs> but they're not. They're they're um, famously uncomfortable and not particularly athletic. To, you know, no, climb they're it. perfect <laughs> for rope ladder climbing, climbing yeah, on right. the outside hull of an enormous ship. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so if you're listening and you are taking a cruise, 
to Alaska or anywhere else, or you've ever been on a cruise, just when you see that little door open on deck four and like where the tenders come in and out, you can picture Matt climbing up and down the side (laughs) of the rope ladder in a ranger hat, in a tie, in the full uniform. Okay. So (laughs) as you were... (laughs) Yes. I just, just had to dwell on that for a second. Oh, yeah. So tell no. <laughs> us a little more about what happens during that time that you're actually on board. Gladly. So we, as soon as we climb through the hatch in the bottom of the ship, they check us in with cards and ID cards. They have to make sure we're who we say we are. So it's a secure measure. And then we immediately go up to the bridge of the ship where the captain drives and meet the captain and crew for the day. And on board there, all two or three of us will determine what the schedule is for the day, like where we'll be and when, what we're going to see, the route the ship will take, and the programs that we'll offer, and when we'll offer them for the day. So there are three main programs that park rangers offer on board these cruise ships. And one of them you can't escape from. So (laughs) if you're going to Glacier Bay, you'll at least hear one. And that's called the Scenic Commentary which is where one ranger from the bridge of the ship will be on the ship's microphone for four hours and give a scenic commentary of what we're passing by or what might appear out of the water that we weren't expecting, like humpback whales or sea otters. Um, And on the mountain peaks, we might see mountain goats or, of course, even glaciers flowing down from the Fairweather Mountains. Now, fortunately for the passengers, we don't spend all four straight hours just talking to the microphone like um, <laughs> like one big solid monologue. <laughs> yeah, that would be <laughs> a lot. we could totally do that, <laughs> as might be evident. Brutal. <laughs> Your voice but, um, would be given. Yeah. <laughs> but we take, we do it in, in little bite-sized pieces, two-minute comments that, that are then broken up by five-minute breaks and then another two-minute comment um, just to give people a little bit of digestion time while they learn about what they're seeing. And that's really fun. It can be heard on the outside decks, inside decks, dining rooms, even in people's cabins. So it's it's hard to get away from us in that way. But I promise you won't want to. <laughs> it's really cool stuff. Um, there are two other programs we offer, too. There's a formal program, which is hosted in the ship's theater, usually in the afternoon. And that's where a park ranger will take 30 solid minutes and present an illustrated program to the passengers on board with a big PowerPoint behind them to show pictures of what they're talking about and speaking to up to 1,500 people at a time. And that was always my personal favorite aboard the cruise ships. Love it. That sounds all, really fun. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, you have to like public speaking, but if you do, it's, yeah, it's, it, I haven't yet had more fun at a job than that. Um, and while the park ranger is doing that, the other ranger on board is giving the children's program in a different area of the ship, usually where the children hang out. And um, they will talk about similar things about Glacier Bay, but in a more, in a way that's easier for kids to attach to and digest. And they spend 30 minutes for them as well. And so once all those programs have concluded, oh, and by the way, in between these programs, we're often either at an information desk somewhere on the ship that you can come and get your passport stamp or touch some of those pelts I talked about, or we'll even be out on the decks of the ship. So uh, in short, we're busy all day long. And then by the end of the day, that's when we wrap everything up, say one final farewell over the ship's microphone, get back down on the rock, and disappear into the still wilderness of Bartlett Cove in Glacier Bay. 
And that's the typical day of an interpretive park ranger in Glacier Bay National Park. It's awesome. <laughs> it sounds it sounds awesome and it also sounds a little bit it sounds really tiring. <laughs> so exhausting, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, kind of mind blowing to me. Like that's really different from what the interpretive rangers that I, you know, knew in Yellowstone or some of the other parks I've worked at, you know, they, they tended to go out and gather people up for a nature walk and then they do their hours at the desk at the visitor center or whatever. But it wasn't nearly as intense as that. Like that's pretty, yeah. No, it's uh, for those that know, especially for those with perspective from elsewhere in the national parks or national park service, uh, Glacier Bay, uh, by all measures, has the most rigorous interpretive program for interpreters. Um, I think most who have done it would say it's also the most rewarding, although I'm sure that would be highly contested by all other interpreters, as it should be. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there's no doubt. I mean, there are even shifts we do on the smaller cruise ships that last for 16 hours. And sometimes you do do those for three days in a row on your own. So um, the work of an interpreter in Glacier Bay is never done. But we never want it to be done because it's just it's too good. We have a good time the whole the whole day out there. Um, That's yeah. so wild. <laughs> it must be kind of funny to go up on the ship when you've been living in this small town and suddenly you're in this sort of luxurious, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> we always had a laugh about that because yes, like we would literally we wake up. Oh, I got two kind of funny stories to go along with that. Um, little quips anyway. So of course we wake up and it's this. We're we're in the middle of the rainforest, and then within an hour, we're climbing the ladder onto this ten-story tall cruise ship, and then we're passing by like the flashing lights of a casino on our way to the bridge. <laughs> you know, it's just like all this crazy, <laughs> right? Crazy stuff. It's like it's like going from uh, you know, let's say Wyoming to Las Vegas, Nevada, within an hour. <laughs> it's it's, it's a, quite a transition, but um, you know, going back to the small town thing. Fresh produce is really hard to come by in Southeast Alaska, even living in Skagway, I'm sure both of you know that. Um, and so yes. <laughs> when we would board the board the ships, of course, we'd go get breakfast at the buffet and we'd all run straight to the fruit bar. Boom. Yes. Like, what would you tell someone who was going to go to Glacier Bay on a ship? Like, is there anything they could do actively themselves, like other than just passively taking in what comes by, like, what could they do to like make the most, you know, they're not there very long. It's kind of, I mean, it's a pretty short visit for such an incredible place. What can they do to make the most of that? Fortunately, the answer to that, well, I have two answers and one of them is quite simple to do and everybody can do it as long as they're prepared. Get outside and stay outside. (laughs) Um, one of the most common questions we're asked as rangers on board is which side of the ship is best is is port side best or starboard side best and the real answer is the outside is the best and so that means oh, that's great <laughs> we often use that quip <laughs> um, yeah. but when you're packing for your trip to glacier bay bring warm clothes bring binoculars pack things that you can wear with you while you're in the parks that you don't have to frequently go back to your cabin to get things because Glacier Bay has taught me more than anywhere else. Some of the most memorable experiences that you can make in Alaska are fleeting glimpses of something that may only appear for five or 10 seconds and then be gone. 
a pot of orcas, a pack of sea otters. Maybe it's a grizzly bear jumping at a mountain goat up on the cliff. You never have an idea of what you're going to see out there. And so by making yourself available to the park and to that resource you're there to enjoy as much as possible is the best thing you can do to make the most of your time in Glacier Bay. Now, that's the simple answer. The more complicated and I would say more valuable one is by actively seeking out native voices while you're on board. Some cruise ships have Hunachlinget interpreters on them when you're in Glacier Bay. They will set up tables near the park rangers of um, regalia and, and other elements of their culture to physically teach you about their homeland and themselves and their culture. Uh, and also on deck, they may be out there to tell stories of the landscape from their perspective too. And as much as park rangers know, many of us, especially if we're not Hunachlinget, we don't know it all. Mm. And so the most valuable thing you can do, or at least try to do in any sense of the, of, of the way, maybe it's just reading, is seek out native voices, whether it's in Glacier Bay, in Alaska, or anywhere you are. That will add the most to your experiences uh, wherever you may find yourself. And so those are my two answers for how to make the most of your time. Love, I love both of those so much. You know, the, the one that blew me away I, um, when we worked for Prince House, when we were just first together, um, we took our honeymoon was actually, we were, it was the middle of the season. And so we took a cruise. We got a free employee cruise for our honeymoon. And wow. um, we did a Southeast Alaskan cruise. Which it was, was great. Because we'd been working, yeah. you know, season. <laughs> yeah. really fun. Oh, hey, Joe. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Actually, it was amazing. It was like a, it was like a, a um, it was sort of like a, our own floating, um, uh, what do you call the thing after the wedding? Reception? Oh, reception. Yeah, reception. reception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because we, all our friends were working in these port towns. And anyway, the reason I thought of that was that when we were on that, I, Jenny, we didn't go to Glacier Bay. Did we go to? No. Do you remember where? I'm anyway. pretty sure it was um, Hubbard Glacier that Hubbard. you were thinking yes. of. Oh, yeah. it was Hubbard. Mm. And we, you know, I happened, we were out, we, Jenny and I were out on the outer decks the whole time we were there and um, just talked about that fleeting moment, a huge calf off the glacier, just plunging salt water and it was all you know by the, the wave hit the ship and people came out like oh my god what happened like you know it's over <laughs> you had to be there but the sound i wouldn't have guessed how incredible the sound was of that or of hearing the fact that you can hear sometimes the humpbacks blow which is again i just blew just blew my mind so i love that get outside and uh actually don't you don't you don't have to look at pictures of it if you can see the real thing that's right yeah yeah make yourself available and to point to to build on that point jay that um many of the experiences are are beyond visual in alaska they're they're the sound of cracking ice from a glacier or the smell of sea lions on a distant rock um yeah or that down you know that down that cold you when you get close catabatic to the wind yes, yes. that's the word i was trying to remember the word for that. yes close, suddenly it's like this super cool cold air that just comes sweeping down off of, yeah that's cool. right yeah 
That's another good reason, by the way, to always make sure you have a rain jacket, even if it's not raining, because yes. <laughs> it really helps with so many other things like wind and bugs. There, there's not going to be bugs on the deck of a cruise ship in Glacier Bay, but um, there are maybe bugs in other places. So, um, yeah. Good. Yep. Good rain gear or, or bug gear or wind gear. <laughs> All yeah. in the same, but it's important up there. Yes. Well, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about visiting Glacier Bay, not on a cruise ship. I'm Isaac Schaefer. And I am Drew West. And this is the Entrepreneur Podcast, where we as entrepreneurs have the privilege of interviewing fellow entrepreneurs and business owners here in the Pacific Northwest. And if you've ever thought about starting a business, what it takes to really be successful and crush it in that arena, you are in the right place. We release episodes every Tuesday. Check us out on the Chatter Network or anywhere you stream your podcast. Let's go. Let's go. All right, and we are back with Ranger Matt, and we are talking about Glacier Bay. So the first part of this episode, we were talking a little bit about Glacier Bay in general and being a ranger there, and we talked a lot about um, visiting on a cruise ship and what it's like to be a ranger on a cruise ship, which is pretty cool. Um, and I believe you said, Matt, that did you say 95% of visitors to Glacier Bay come on a cruise ship and have the experience we've been talking about? Is that the right number? That's correct. Okay. So that's a lot. And if you, I'm going to just tell you because I have personally done this, which is how I even met Matt in the first place. If you go to Glacier Bay on your own, you are going to have an experience that not very many Alaska visitors get to have of staying on land in the lodge or in the campground in Bartlett Cove. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I certainly don't want to discourage you from going on a cruise ship because you should see Glacier Bay any way that you can. So you should not feel like you shouldn't see it on a cruise ship. That is an amazing experience. However, if you are the kind of person that likes to like get off the beaten track a bit, um, then then you really need to go to Glacier Bay. And and I will just say that myself. So I went to Glacier Bay not only not on a cruise ship, but by myself. And this was another I've had bad habit of camping by myself in bear places. <laughs> Although, <laughs> it wasn't as scary in Bartlett Cove as it was in Katmai. There weren't bears literally everywhere. Um, but I met Matt um, the, when I was in uh, Glacier Bay. And one of the reasons I met him was one of, the, one of his colleagues was a ranger that I had previously met in another park. So anyway, you get to get to know people. You get to meet your fellow travelers which is pretty cool. So Matt, if you want to add anything about that, go ahead. But mostly I want to just ask you what, from your perspective, are the best things for someone to do if they're visiting Glacier Bay and they are staying in the lodge or in the campground or somewhere in Gustavus? Oh, well, there are, of course, is the land element and the water element. And oh, and there's even the air element. We got them all. <laughs> um, yes. I think for, for ease of access, 
certainly, and this is something I mentioned earlier, uh, is to go to the Huna Tribal House, which is just less than a five-minute walk from the Glacier Bay Lodge, right on the shores of Bartlett Cove. Um, and there's much to be said about that. My comments earlier about uh, it being this anchor of culture for the Huna Tlingit in the National Park is enough to get you started and get you there, but you definitely don't want to miss out on that. But that's just one thing to do on land. There are other trails to do right around the Glacier Bay Lodge. There's the Forest Loop Walk, which is guided by a park ranger once a day in the summertime. It's very excellent. And you can also even rent a kayak to go out and explore the waters of Bartlett Cove or beyond on your own. You can even get a guide to go with you if you'd like, or if that's more comfortable for you. But that will get you out even if you can't be on a cruise ship, it will get you out into Glacier Bay, of course, the namesake of the park. And you can see things like harbor porpoises and harbor seals and maybe even sea otters right next to your kayak. It's really cool. And one of the best ways to experience the park, too. Is, there are is, even... Oh, go ahead, Jay. I was just wondering, is, the, is Bartlett Cove, seems like it's pretty protected, it's pretty calm water. It is. Yeah, it's a great place for even be beginner kayakers to go out. Um, cool. Even on stormy days, the water stays pretty calm. But that, that's to say that your guide will know when it's safe and when it's not to go out. But it is a protected body of water and is, is very, it's almost like paddling on a lake. It's not that much different. Um, of course, with big mountains seen in the background. Lovely. There's also the air tour uh, or the scenic tours you can take by bush plane from Gustavus. And they're pretty hard to schedule, but there are pilots in town who will do it. I did it in 2019. And that one hour I spent in the air uh, claims a significant percentage of my total memories made in Glacier Bay. <laughs> um, that is awesome. Really cool. Yeah, because you can see the glaciers from course the water further north than Bartlett Cove but you don't really get to see how big they are and when you're floating above them in an airplane and you see a cruise ship that looks like a tiny little uh, battleship game boat <laughs> in front of a glacier yeah it it just puts that much more perspective in it it's amazing um, oh and I can't forget too speaking of motorized touring the day boat in Glacier Bay, which leaves from the lodge every day. You can get tickets for that online prior to your trip or even at the lodge's front desk while you're there uh, to take you on a several hour tour all the way up to the glaciers, which are about 60 miles north of the Glacier Bay Lodge, and then all the way back down. And a park ranger is on board that boat too. You can't get away from us. <laughs> um, but that tour will give you a lot of the similar experiences that the, that the cruise ships get while, of course, giving you the opportunity to set foot on land in the park at Bartlett Cove. And those are just a few ideas of how to really build up your time. Uh, if you're lucky enough to be one of the 5% that steps, steps foot on solid ground in Glacier Bay National Park. 5% club. That's right. <laughs> I am just going, I agree with everything um, that you suggested based on my experience as a visitor. I want to just make a like an extra exclamation point on the dayboat tour. Like I it's it is so important to do that if you're in Glacier Bay. Like make sure that that happens because 
that is how you see the glaciers. You don't you don't get up to the glaciers when you're in Bartlett Cove. And I also just wanted to emphasize again how cool the Kuna tribal house is. And like, just not only do you get to learn about Huna Klinkit culture, but you also, I mean, it's a beautiful building. I mean, it's absolutely stunning. So uh, there's also that just visually, it's super cool. So just a couple extra plugs for um, those things that Matt suggested. Is the um, day boat, is the day boat uh, a thing you like get tickets for or is it like, is it like a tour or is it like something operated by the park service? It's operated by air. Well, actually it's not even true. It's operated through Allen Marine currently, um, which is a company based in Juneau, but they have a contract as a concessioner through the national park service. So the operators of the boat are private, but there is a park ranger on board with the right. folks who got on. So it, it is a ticketed as in like, you have to buy a ticket to go on the tour yeah. Uh, at current, I believe it costs about $300, but don't let that price tag discourage you. Uh, as Jenny mentioned, it is the only way to see the glaciers, or at least get close to the glaciers on the water if you're staying at the Glacier Bay Lodge, and it's well yeah. worth your time. Yeah. It, it is absolutely worth it. And you're right, Matt, it is an expensive tour, but it's you got to do it. It's just, yeah, yeah you just have yeah, to. You just have I, to. and I would also say that, um, you know, Matt said that there's a ranger on board that boat as well, um, which is awesome. And you can do the junior ranger program, even if you're an adult. So right. I did, the, I became a junior ranger in Woo! Glacier Bay and got a cool <laughs> patch from Ranger Anne and it was awesome. Um, so you can, even adults can do that. Which is That's right. cool. One other thing I'm just going to mention before we move on from this topic is um, I'm going to put in the show notes my article about visiting Glacier Bay on your own in the way that we've just been talking about, which would involve either staying at the Glacier Bay Lodge or camping in the Bartlett Cove campground. So if that's something you want to think about doing, there's tons of details in there about how to plan that. I think I've left on my list is to ask about what you would say to someone who is really interested in Glacier Bay or glaciers in Alaska, et cetera, and, but doesn't have the opportunity to, to come on their own, like to actually visit. Are there resources that you would recommend for people to learn more about it that aren't, you know, that aren't able to come in person on a cruise ship or. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I don't have the stats for it, but most of our visitors probably are, are folks who never step foot in the park uh, every year. And and many of them interact with us, of course, online through a, a couple different avenues. Now, Glacier Bay, like many national parks, maintains a very active social media presence. And we post pictures of stuff found in the park all the time, taken by our very own photographer who works as a park ranger in the National Park Service and writes interpretive posts to go along with the pictures. So if you want to feel like you're in Glacier Bay without having put on one of those big warm coats, <laughs> you can uh, hop on either Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on the whole works and see what we're up to. We, we try and post every day. Um, and, and certainly we're not that hard to find. Years ago, we also had a YouTube channel which is still updated from time to time, especially in the last few years. But there's a whole series on nature notes 
that were hosted by Glacier Bay Rangers back in the late 2000s, early 2010s about things like rainforests and moss and of course glaciers and mountains. And if you want to learn about the park from a park ranger at home, visiting our YouTube page is a great way to do that too. And that should be Glacier Bay NPS. Okay. Take a look around there. It was funny um, when, when Jenny came back from Katmai and she kept talking about the YouTube ranger and it was just... <laughs> <laughs> One more thing, of course, is our park website, all national parks maintain a website too. There's whole troves of treasure on there for you to dig through. And if you don't have the NPS app yet on your phone, you can definitely get that. That's basically our park website yeah. and an easily navigated platform for your phone. It's super mobile friendly. Uh, we're just kind of getting off the ground in the last couple of years. So there are still some bugs to work out, but it's a great platform for touring things like that. And Glacier Bay, I have something I worked on while I was there in my winter two years ago uh, and a illustrated tour, digital tour of the bay. So you can click on different points like that the day boat goes by, um, the, the tour boat, and see pictures of what it looks like and read little blurbs about what it is. So definitely go check that out too. I That's think there are cool. like 22 or 24 different points on there. But yeah. So That's is awesome. it on is it on the NPS site for Glacier Bay? You know, it should be on the okay. the like the desktop site as well. Cool. Um, we'll put it we'll put it in the show notes cool awesome well i think that might be all of our our questions that we came up with beforehand anyway jenny do you think there's do we want to do our wrap-up well, question now yeah we or, do we should do our wrap-up questions unless matt has a, a anything he'd like to volunteer that we might have skipped over that you'd be aching to tell our listeners <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you know, even just talking about talking through it with you guys here, um, it's been really cool for me to le- relive those last few years. We uh, we have three questions that we ask all of our guests at the end, just for fun. The first one is, what is your favorite month of the year in Glacier Bay? Oh, May. Nice. Yep. It's got to be May. And the reason for that is May is when the cruise ships just start coming in. I think they start in mid-May or late May. But, of course, up there, that's still almost wintertime. And if you're in front of Johns Hopkins Glacier in May, not only do you see a mile-wide expanse of ice 200 feet tall in front of you, you also see thousands foot tall mountains on either side of the fjord covered in snow and it's just it really sends home the idea that you are in a land sculpted by ice you can't get that later in the summer Uh, june still has some snow by july it's mostly gone and it doesn't come back until october so uh for me my favorite time to be in glacier bay has always been may I would like to say that's the correct answer for the whole state of Alaska, no matter what Johnny says. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Wait wait a minute. I I totally agree. I've only been to Glacier Bay in May, but it was awesome. And the rest of Southeast Alaska is pretty awesome in May also. I believe that. Now, of course, we got to mention there's no mosquitoes in May. Which is another selling point. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> Beat the bugs. Um, yeah, there's always, lots of good reasons to always yeah, positive. Always to beat positive. bugs. Yes. yes. Uh, for our listeners, if you know everything you've heard about 
mosquitoes and bugs in Alaska is absolutely true, if not truer. Yeah. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Yes. yes. Can be really hardcore. Mm-hmm. Okay. This question is very sassy. Oh boy. For in this case, <laughs> it's not normally. Um, <laughs> but I'll just ask it. You answer however you want. What is your favorite restaurant in Glacier Bay? Uh, <laughs> now, keep in mind, sometimes we're asking people like, what's your favorite restaurant in Anchorage or sure. in the whole state of Alaska or Juno or Fairbanks? So, my favorite oh, restaurant. But I'll let in, you handle uh, in, that however yeah. you want. <laughs> My favorite restaurant in uh, Gustavus is actually the restaurant in Anchorage. <laughs> um, but well, so because I know people who who work at both restaurants in Glacier Bay, I can't. There's two. There, well, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> there's the Glacier Bay Lodge restaurant, which is open as long as the lodge is open, and at least during COVID, it's only been open to guests. So. I haven't eaten there in a while, but there's also a restaurant in um, Gustavus called Fox's Den. It's ran by locals and, and school kids who are learning professional skills to get a job after they graduate high school. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it fills a need. It fills a need for folks who live in town and, and want to go out to eat and not, you know, Hunt yeah. dinner <laughs> or yeah. or make something from scratch at home. Um, but I think I get where your sass is coming from here, Jenny. The true answer is there aren't many good options in, in Glacier Bay. And that's just a fact of the matter. Yes. Um, yeah. No, well, actually, that being said, if you're coming to Glacier Bay and opting to stay at a lodge in Gustavus, many of the privately owned lodges have exceptional food. And I've only mm, met a couple. Yeah. Now, you can't often get reservations there if you're not a guest. Yes. Um, but if you're making plans to stay outside of the park, definitely ask the person you're staying with if dinner is available and chances are good that it's going to be excellent. Yeah. So yeah, yep. that's really That's your really good advice. Yep. Yeah. And I, I will say I ate at the lodge when I was camping in Glacier Bay, and I thought it was great. I mean, especially oh. given the like remote location, um, you know, there were vegetables and as a former <laughs> resident of Alaska, I was, I was happy to see vegetables and good vegetables even. Yes. Um, now, um, I guess, you know, and I should clarify based uh, building from that, Jenny, the food at these restaurants is not bad, but this is also coming from somebody who lives in near San Francisco. So my, right. my, <laughs> my, uh, you know, my par for food is actually pretty high. So yes. know, that, um, but, but it's, the food is definitely edible. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, supplies actually, you know, we talked about the groceries and, and even in Skyway, uh, you know, the, before the barge came in the day or two before the barge came in, the grocery store shelves are pretty empty and there's, <laughs> I, I won't name the restaurant, but there was a restaurant in Alaska that um, Jenny and I ate at once, and I ordered the waffle breakfast, and it was two eggs on a plate. Oh no! <laughs> you know, like I appreciated it. It was a cold. It was a fifty some below zero morning, and I enjoyed it with my coffee. But it wasn't quite what I'd expect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, kind of in a you got to have a good sense of humor about it, but that kind of thing is also part of the Alaska experience. Yep. Like 
you know, for a lot of folks, it's just, it's utilitarian lifestyle. So yep. if you want some waffles, here's some ones we got out of the freezer. Like, there you yep. go. You know, and that's kind of how <laughs> yeah. a lot of people live yeah. up there. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, absolutely. In in the episode, a couple episodes ago, when we were talking about Count My, um, we were talking about the vegetable problem, which, you know, there is even more intense because it's even harder to get fresh food there oh, even yeah. than, than it All is. Right. In- I don't even get a barge. No, (laughs) No. and, um, you know, we were having this conversation that was a bit like, you know, my kingdom for a carrot kind of thing or any vegetable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That was, uh, that goes back to that fruit bar comment I made getting on the cruise ships. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything for some peaches right now. Like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Give me that orange juice. What do you got? (laughs) Oh, the orange juice was always, yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, got it down that vitamin C. <laughs> right. So the last of our um, wrap-up questions is, and this will be interesting. I think I think we can predict this based on your answers already, but we'll see. What is your favorite thing to do in in Glacier Bay? Mm. You know, my favorite thing to do in Glacier Bay is uh, fish. <laughs> oh, that is, wasn't. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not something yeah. brought up yet. Um, but that. You know, as somebody who grew up fishing a little bit, getting up to Alaska and catching wild salmon out of the Bartlett River just a couple miles from my house uh, was one of the, especially for the first, and then a repeating moment where it it really grounded me in place. Um, And speaking generally for Alaskans, whether either folks who grew up there or moved there and lived there for many years, I think that's a big part of the experience as well, is is taking food from the land or subsisting on the wilderness. Um, And that, that, of course, that exact thing has sustained uh, humans in the area since time immemorial, has built entire cultures. The, the, uh, The bounty of especially Southeast Alaska has defined the people that live there. And for me, again, uh, taking part in that and and by feeding myself from the land was my very favorite thing to do uh, living up there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, there's a that that is not what I expected you to say. And I'm really glad that we asked because that's a cool answer. I really feel like there's something about especially fishing in some parts of Alaska where you're kind of almost humbled by the ability of the land to produce this, you know, it's a stark and difficult land in some places. And then there's this tremendous, you know, bounty of food that can come out of it. It's amazing. Yes. It's, a really, it's a really interesting uh, perspective on living there. Well, it's, it's, it's something that I think, of course, we all take food for granted because for us, it's so easy to get. Yeah, well, for many of us, you go to the grocery store, it's there, it's on a shelf. Uh, people have gardens, they have farms. Like food often for us comes from somewhere else. And we don't usually think about where food comes from, most of us. But up there, it's very much around you all the time. And even if you don't have fishing or the means to go fishing while you're in Glacier Bay, there's another way you can interact with this element I'm talking about, too, if you're planning a visit there. On your walks right around Glacier Bay Lodge, there are so many berries to eat. 
And especially in July, that's kind of a peak berry month. Blueberries, salmon berries, thimble berries. Uh, we have crowberries, cranberries, nagoon berries, <laughs> and on and on and on. Um, all of which you can eat and, and connect yourself to the landscape in that way. And that too is part of the food culture of Alaska. It's wild, just like the land is. So... Yeah. yeah, whether it's whether it's from from sea or from land, connecting with the food of the place is my favorite way to spend time there. Love it. That is a great answer. I and agree. Kind of great to wrap up. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for spending this time with us and sharing a bit more about Glacier Bay and your experience as a ranger there. And thank you to all of you who are listening for joining us for this episode of Alaska Uncovered. If you like what you heard, we would love to have you subscribe and that will help other people find us who are planning trips also. So thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time. 